many students commute from out of state to save money. The bookstore turns a new page, and a student film is making its way to Hollywood. Go Earth, what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. Commuting is mundane, so much so that senior animation major Trisha Parent has a favorite sign on the South Shore line. Favorite sign above the door. It's a violation to mess with the doors and everything. Why is it your favorite? I don't know. Because then I also see the do not lean on doors and like, I'm going to lean on it. Four days a week, Trisha waits for her train. Her commutes start around 4 a.m. She gets in her car and catches the train at Dune Park, a station with free parking. Dune Park is a 20-minute ride from her home in Michigan City, Indiana. She commutes around 4 hours a day, or 16 hours a week. She makes this trek because Columbia is one of the better animation schools in the country, and by doing so, she is saving $14,000 a year. It's just a lot cheaper. Um, I couldn't afford to like live in Chicago, and like I couldn't afford like room and board and everything. It is standing room only. Soon, the train will be empty, which comes as no surprise to Trisha. She has her commute down to a science. She waits 30 minutes for everyone to get off at East Chicago, then moves to the front of the car and finds a seat. She passes time by flipping between homework and music. Today, she is coming home on a 4 o'clock train, but is usually taking the 916 train. And I have to pray to God that my teachers let me leave at 9, otherwise I'm here until midnight. <laughs> And then I turn around and I take a 7 o'clock train in the morning. <laughs> she seemed too happy about that. <laughs> it's kind of sad. <laughs> Almost one hour in and we're a few stops away from Dune Park. And so like New York trains run every hour on the hour. You never have to worry about missing a train because if you do, it's whatever. Next hour, it'll be here. These trains suck. <laughs> so they really mess you up? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. When you're like used to New York trains, it's just, just, just Indiana. I get it. I get it. So what do people say when they figure out you commute from Indiana? What do your friends say? What do your classmates say? They say, are, are you crazy? Are you? Apparently. <laughs> the commute is more than halfway over, but Trisha embarks on leg two of her journey. The second leg is not as complicated as the first. No people to deal with, no tickets to show, and no moving from train car to train car. It's just a matter of selecting the right song and making the turns. When the Chronicle followed Trisha on her trip home, she said it'd take around one hour and 40 minutes. At this point, you're just about done. Yeah. How much more is left in the train? Uh, another 20 minutes. Another 20 minutes. We left at 4.30. We're going to get back at like 6.30. Yeah. So it's a full two hours. So is the idea of like a short commute leave whenever you want from class like a foreign concept? Yes. <laughs> Trisha is not alone in her commute to campus. Approximately 70% of Columbia students don't live in campus dorms. Betsy Mayette, president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, estimates for every $10,000 borrowed, it takes 10 years to pay that off. The cheapest dorm at Columbia costs $10,000. For that price, you could live in one of the nicer neighborhoods in Chicago, literally. 
Sophomore comedy writing and performance major Aaron Atkins lives with his girlfriend. Senior comedy writing and performance major Isabella Dillman in a Gold Coast studio apartment. The studio costs $1,200 a month, which is the same monthly price for a Columbia dorm. Atkins is also not using student loans to pay for his apartment. Mayette said some of the repayment plans and interest rates could double the cost of a campus dorm. Students living on campus for four years could potentially pay $80,000 for housing. The studio is 15 feet by 11 feet and could be covered by a single area rug. Atkins and Dillman opted for a pull-out couch over a bed. This was so they had more room. The couch not only doubles as a bed, but it works as a kitchen countertop. Dillman loves to cook and says she has put food on the couch so she had more room to prepare things on the kitchen table. While Atkins loves his studio apartment, there are some drawbacks. Like, in some senses it's a comfortable environment because I'm alone and it is like my home and I'm getting more homey over here, but there's no stimulation here. There's absolutely no stimulation. So you have to like, it, it, you do get stirred crazy. It's kind of, it's hard to find inspiration. It's hard to sit down and write in this space because it's so like suffocating in a way. The two have lived there since May, but Dillman says it's felt like a lifetime. For additional reporting on this story, you can go to ClumbyChronicle.com or pick up a newspaper nearest you. And that's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. Now let's flip on over to a story about Columbia's bookstore. I have staff reporter Paige Barnes in studio with me today. And Paige, we're just not talking about the bookstore in and of itself. There have been some recent changes, if I have that correct. So I, I guess to quickly try and sum it up, what are some of the things that have been happening with Columbia's bookstore? All right. So as of this summer, Columbia made the change from Follett to Barnes & Noble College. And when I spoke to Brian Gilstrap, who is the Director of Procurement and Administrative Services, he had said that Barnes & Noble College was the most appealing out of all of the deals because they had offered um, a price match with Amazon. And so that means cheaper textbooks for students. And when we're talking about like Follett and then Barnes and Noble, that's like the parent companies running the bookstore. Is that what we're getting at? Yeah, they're the new man or Barnes and Noble is the manager of mm-hmm. the bookstore. And then to backtrack just real quick, did I get that right? That partnering with Barnes and Noble could lead to cheaper books for students? Yes, that is the intention. Exactly how would that work? Did uh, Gilstrap give you any reasoning to that? Well, that, like I said before, it was all about saying that there could be a price match. And so when they did their calculations, it would be cheaper. However, I'm not sure if that truly has come to be. So it's more of an estimation just because of Barnes & Noble's resources that, hey, this could happen. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Well, then what are some other changes that Columbia students may have seen already now that Barnes & Noble has taken place? Because they've been there a couple weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So when students walk in um, to their left, they can see there is a new arraignment of Chicago uh, themed things. So not only are there going to be Columbia apparel, which also have gotten a facelift. um, So there's new designs um, and also more variety. I know someone who has bought a sweatshirt blanket that was not offered before. And as for Chicago goods, there's mugs, lanyards, um, shirts that say I Heart Chicago that you can see through the windows. That wasn't available last year. I thought it was. No, not the Chicago-themed things. Okay, the Columbia-themed things. But it had a sweatshirt combination blanket? Yes. Okay, to, to quickly get off track here, how does that work? Did you see it? How 
<laughs> Do you, so you put it on like a sweatshirt, I'm assuming. Actually, it is a blanket made of a sweatshirt. And so it's completely flat, but it on the outside has that you know sweatshirt feeling, but on the inside is that fleece-like texture. So you can't really wear it. It's, like a, it's a blanket. It's just a blanket made of sweatshirt material. Oh, okay. Well, I got a little too excited for that. Now, to get back to the bookstore, um, have you talked with any students who have been inside of it where the change is palpable to them? Yeah, uh, one of my sources that I talked to, who's um, a social media and digital strategy major, her name's Megan Traglio, was talking about one, that the cheaper books are noticeable for some of the smaller things like novels, but as for textbooks, no. Um, and since she's also an art student, um, she was hoping to figure out how how she could get her artwork into the bookstore. Uh, but there is noticeable art. If you look up above the columns, um, there's some there. But the current cashier was also talking to me about how he was hoping to put some more art in the windows. And that's not just random art. To get me up to speed, is that like student art? Is that something students can submit? Is there a process for all of this? Yes. So I am talking specifically about student art. However, according to Gilstrap, the office of the provost is still working out how to make that fair and fair in the terms of are we looking at just paintings are we looking at drawings are we going to offer like a tv screen for iam students um, or even murals and so that is part of the struggle he said in choosing art um, fairly so when we're talking about the differences from last semester to this semester we could physically see new things hanging in the windows and there are new things that you can buy so it's kind of a, a bigger change right yeah and also i think it's important to note that the layout is different and before with Barnes and Noble, um, or sorry, before with Follette, yes, you would have to go up to a cashier to get your textbooks um, if you rented them or buy, bought them. And now you can get them yourself and then bring them to the checkout. Okay, so there's more accessibility of books. So that way there's less bothering of people, kind yes, of. Yes, that's correct. There's more accessibility when you get your textbooks. So, Paige, when I was reading through this story, I noticed a couple times that Brian Gilstrap with the college kept saying, like, you know, it's a good partnership, that they like Barnes & Noble, that they think they found the right match for the bookstore. Mm-hmm. I guess as a whole, what is the college trying to get out of this partnership? What are they hoping will happen with this partnership? Are there any more changes we could expect? Uh, what's coming up here? As of now, what Gilstrap said to me that the Office of the Provost is really involved in trying to get student input and figure out a way to equally represent all of the students and their artwork and sense of their diversity. So I think it's really just going to be a student-driven bookstore. And you see that with the apparel and you see that with the art. So I think they're really trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. do that. I know know Gilstrap mentioned that once or twice, but... I am a little curious because the artwork at Columbia, at least for us, it's like, okay, obviously our students do art, but at Loyola and other schools, I don't know if they deal with that. Is this a problem? I guess not a problem. Is this an um, an issue or a situation that exists at Columbia only? I am a little curious. Well, he said that, Gilstrap said that this was a challenge, but it was a great challenge because other traditional schools do not have this problem of you know, trying to supply student artwork. Normally they would probably buy from a third party, but here it's there's a plentiful amount of wealth, but it's like how do we choose the art fairly? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else that we need to know for your story? 
Yes, um, but if you want more information, you can go to the Columbia Chronicle website or check, check out this week's issue of the paper. Well, Paige, thanks for coming in. Some students are required to take practicums before graduating. For example, broadcast journalism students have to take a television or radio practicum, depending on their major. For the cinema arts practicum, students produce films. This year, a student film is making its way to Hollywood. Cinema arts students and alum produced a film called A Wolf Comes at Night, which takes place on an Illinois ranch in the 1980s. There are significant things to mention about this film and students involved. And here with us now to talk a little bit more about the story is staff reporter Lauren Leesenby, who initially did the report. Hey, Lauren, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so give us a little bit of a rundown on what the story was about. Yeah, so a film called A Wolf Comes at Night is uh, was produced by Columbia students in a film practicum course. And it is headed to a Hollywood film festival, um, the Cultural and Div- Culture and Diversity Film Festival. Yeah, and who are these students that created the film? Yeah, so Jasmine Bryant, who's a current uh, senior um, at Columbia, she was the producer of the film. And then um, Nathan Marquez, who graduated from Columbia in May, he was the director of the film. Right. So diving a little bit deeper into the film, what are some outstanding features that we can discuss? So one of the things that really stood out to me was that one of the actors in the film, um, it was on The Shy. Um, That show, they played um, Sunny on The Shy. Um, I guess I could give a little background about what this film is about. Um, So... It's a period piece set in the 1980s. It's about a grandfather and his granddaughter and his grandson. They all live on um, a ranch, um, kind of secluded, just the three of them. And one night, a wolf comes to the ranch, starts like destroying crops and killing livestock and things like that. And so um, in the wake of that, the grandfather is expecting his grandson to become sort of like the man of the house um, to like go out and take care of the problem essentially um, hands him a gun and is like you need to go take care of this problem but um, Lucy who is the granddaughter in the situation she's always kind of acted like the the mother of the house um, but then she realizes like this is her moment to sort of um, take care of her family and the way that um, Nathan um, Marquez described it to me the director he said uh, Lucy does something that surprises everyone so Ooh, that sounds interesting. (laughs) Makes you want to go watch the movie. Yeah. So I read the article, and I understand that the film was played at a festival. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it played um, at the Culture and Diversity Film Festival um, this past Sunday, actually, September 29th. Um, And it was held at the Complex Hollywood Theater, so like in the Ruby Theater of that um, complex um, in Hollywood. And uh, it was a film festival focused on um, diversity in like characters in the film, but also um, of the people making the film as well. Um, it's pretty broad. There's a lot of different films um, 
on the website that played throughout the whole festival, which was, I believe, Friday through Sunday. So there were several different films. Um, and there is like a winner. I actually don't know um, who the winner is yet. Um, if A Wolf Comes at Night won or if received any kind of um, accolades or anything like that. But that's something I should definitely look into. <laughs> that would be interesting to even yeah. hear about or to even do a follow-up report, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us a little bit more about the significance of the film. So the film actually has an all-black cast. Um, so the grandfather granddaughter grandson are all played by black um actors and actresses and um jasmine bryant the producer of the film she expressed to me that it was really important to the whole team but especially to the director that um the cast was all minority um to kind of showcase diversity in film why is it so important in your opinion to have diversity representation in any form of arts i think because at Columbia, we're all in the business of telling stories. And so we have to tell um, diverse stories so that people know that diverse stories exist. Um, I think that when you showcase diverse voices and um, diverse faces and, and different and diverse, you know, walks of life, um, it really it can introduce people to things that they maybe didn't know existed or um, especially when things aren't um in the mainstream, it kind of can shed some light on aspects of culture that don't get a whole lot of light. So all of this was created through a practicum. Yeah. So uh, what happened? What happened was um, so all of these students were chosen. Um, they applied for their positions like director producer the semester before they got these positions and read through scripts chose a script out of a pool of like five or so and then went on to work on this film and through a class that was about two days a week four hours a session i think um so yeah well that also brings us to the point of the benefits of having a practicum course um, you know, many majors here at Columbia require their students to to um, take a practicum before they graduate. For instance, I'm a radio major, so I have to take the radio practicum. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that these are beneficial for students? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think um, especially to in um, majors and fields that have like a sort of higher level production aspect to them i think being able to create something real in an environment that um at the very least mimics you know what it would be in the field if not like is like directly comparable to um it can help students to kind of maybe visualize themselves in a job eventually but also to just gain the experience of like, this is how this works. And, you know, I, these are the skills that I'm bringing to this, you know, practicum course. And these are the skills that I would bring to an employer. So you can kind of gauge yourself a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's really great that Columbia offers courses like this because this this story, for example, is a great opportunity for a student. I mean, you didn't graduate yet and you already have something, you know, circulate, circulating through Hollywood, which is amazing. And I think it shows, 
you know, just how hardworking Columbia students are. And I think it's a really great example. And not only will it bring success to those who are involved in any practicum at the college, but it'll also encourage um, students who are considering Columbia to, you know, consider it a little bit more because you get a you get a little bit of a feel for the industry before you graduate. And I think with this story, it's a really great example of what we could do at Columbia. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just a really good, very good example of what uh, is available at Columbia and the opportunities you can have here to really hone your craft and then also like shine, truly. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all of these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of our staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Communications Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, Chair. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa and Yasmin Shika. So that's what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines.